day. And thanks for checking in on the latest on what's going on at Journey Church. Our prayer is that today's teaching will inspire you and ultimately draw you closer in your relationship with Jesus. So no matter what you're doing, relax and enjoy this next message. Uh, we're in this new series called Apologetics, and I can tell you what the world is defining apologetics is. And what the world defines apologetics is, believers are going to, we're going to define that as something else. Okay, so as, as we're looking at an apologetics, let me give you the pure definition of apologetics. According to the public, reasoned arguments or writings in justification of something, right? It is the, and, you, and it's usually only referred to by typically a theory or religious doctrine, okay? And I, I don't, I don't, I, I believe that all resonated with each and every one of us. It's two people from different sides of religion or cults or, and even, hey, listen, even atheism is a, is a religion. Sorry. I, I, if, if they don't think so, they're... That's just not the case. Like, they believe in nothing, and they're very firm in believing in nothing. Um, majority of the time, let me tell you something about atheism. Majority, you'll find a very rare selective few that actually will say that they're just atheists. Uh, majority of them, it, if, if, if they're educated enough, and I say that because they were usually come to the terms that they're agnostic atheism, which means I simply do not feel like I have enough information to make an educated decision if there is or is not a guess. So if you come across somebody who just says, like, I just don't believe in God, and you say why, and they can't really explain it, that's actually a really prime person that you can begin to pray for, uh, because the, the Holy Spirit can begin to convict um, ignorance and arrogance a little bit. If you have somebody that says, I simply just don't have enough information, that's also really cool because there is enough information. And we have this idea that like evolution and science oppose one another. And when you look in the Bible, they complement each other quite well. Okay, so just as, as we go through this, as we go through apologetics, um, atheism is a big thing that's in our world right now. And majority of what we're going to be talking about today is like, how does a person, the reason we've shifted so far from what God has said and what God wants to do in our lives is because we're living in an environment where we have accepted the fact that God is dead. And now that we've accepted that truth, right, that absolute truth, which is not truth or absolute truth, but it's being, but it, within our society and our culture is saying yes, then we're learning how to live within the means of there is no God. And that is where things get really complicated. That's why we're walking away and we're getting abortions and things of that nature. It's because we're thinking to ourselves, well, our culture accepts the fact that there is no higher supreme, that there is no absolute, therefore I am entitled to do my own absolute, and therefore I now choose that abortions is okay, and they can go to bed and sleep at night. We're going to be talking about how that happened, why that happened, and so we're going to finish from last week a little bit, okay, because it gets a little bit more in depth, and the next Sunday morning we're going to be tackling into abortions, um, late-term abortions, every sense of the word, and so please, uh, I, want you to, I want you to stick with me. I want you to stick with me for the next month. I want you to make uh, room in your lives to get up and to come to church and hear how you as a believer are responsible for explaining in and out of season to somebody that does not understand because at the end of the day, we are going to be held accountable for what we did in this life. And as your pastor, whether you're a guest or not, it's my responsibility to share with you and to train you as most as I, uh, and equip you as best as I possibly can. So, do, so humor me and show up consistently for the next month so that I can help you be the most effective believer that God has called you to be. Is that okay? Is that okay? Is that okay? That's okay. I believe that's okay. So let's, let's define this a little bit. Apologetics to the, to the public is a reasoned argument, right? There's reason within it, big word there, reasoned arguments of, or writings in justification, right? Trying to say that I am right or to be right of something, typically a theory or religious doctrine. When we begin to go to people and we begin to explain in and out of season, right? We're going to talk about that Bible verse in a second, uh, why we are doing this. We're not just debating. I want you to go ahead and walk away from the idea that when you are trying to share Jesus, you're, you do not have to prove Jesus to anybody. 
You don't have to prove Jesus. You don't have to make Jesus famous. It's not on your responsibility to fix broken people. You leave that to the Holy Spirit. I'm a big believer on getting out of the way of Jesus. I'm a big believer of getting out of the way of the Holy Spirit. So often I guilt trip myself into thinking that I am the last line of defense and a solution to, between somebody going to heaven and somebody going to hell. Listen, we're there to present the gospel with love and encouragement and to share that good news and to plant that seed and then just water that sucker half to death, okay? That is our responsibility. And then we say, Holy Spirit, you have all the room and the right and the freedom to come in and do whatever you want. And if you want to use me, I'm on board, baby. And if you don't, that's cool too. Pick somebody else. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just here for you. I'm just here for you and I'm here for them and whatever the, whatever the sense is, I'm on train, right? So when you go, don't go in and say, I'm going to debate you today that pornography is wrong. We know pornography is wrong, but really what we're doing is we're saying, hey, listen, I'm going to have a conversation with you and get to know you because somewhere in your life, you shifted to thinking that you could call absolutes and that therefore you've now made decisions on an absolute that's not absolute at all and now you're believing something. So instead of just going after the thing that pornography is wrong, go after the person. In a nice way. You know what I'm saying? Like they may come through and they just say, you know what, listen, man, I've had a really hard life and I was sexually abused and this is what's helping me, right? We're not even talking about pornography anymore. We're talking about a hurt person, a hurt soul, somebody that desperately wants to know what true value and love looks like, but instead we're debating something. You're going after the person. You're going after the questioner. You're not necessarily going after the question, which leads me to share with you what apologetic means to a believer. It means to give a clear answer to questions people ask. And we're not just going after the questions people ask, we're going after the questioner, okay? It's about people, it's about love, it's about souls, and if you can remember that going into a high debate, you will be successful and you will in fact be effective. Apologetics. So we were talking a little bit about uh, where did it all go wrong? And I think it's kind of obvious, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because you can catch us on the podcast if you'd like, but let's just, for, for, for the undertone sake of conversation, uh, and setting the bar, setting the tone. Let's look at Genesis 2, 15 through 17. And I just want to unpack this verse just for a moment and share with you when this went wrong. The Lord God, now, it was so funny, that's another story. The Lord God, the Lord God placed the man, right, intentionality, purpose. We were placed, right, God just didn't really say like, oh, you know what, I'm bored. I'm bored, I need, a, I need a man, I need a woman to hang out with, to talk with, my angels just aren't enough, Lucifer already took off, you know, I cast him out, you know, he's, he's, he's rallied a third, of my, a third of my angels, and now it's all, you know, all out war, heaven and hell kind of thing. That's not what it was. He, was, he wasn't bored. The Lord intentionally placed the man in the garden at the end, the most beautiful place in the world, to tend with purpose, to watch with purpose over it, right? We had purpose from the beginning, but the Lord God warned him, warned him, warned him, warned is very important. And so, is the word, and so is the word Lord. We're going to get to that. I want you to, every time you see the word Lord today, I want you to circle it. I want you to highlight it because Lord to us, or the way that God wants to be Lord of our life, we don't utilize it correctly. And because we don't utilize this correctly is, because, is some of the reasons why we are struggling in our relationship with the Lord and God in general in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The reason we make bad decisions sometimes is because we don't understand what it means for Jesus to be Lord of our life. We, understand, we love the saving part. We love the Savior part. We love that he saved us from sin. We love that he saved us from hell. We love that he saved us into a place of existence with eternity with God. We love all the pros and cons, you know, all the pros, but we don't know what it means to be Lord of our lives, and we're going to talk about that. But here we are. The Lord God warned him. You may freely, you may, you, you have permission to do anything you want in the garden. You may eat of any tree. You may eat of any tree of any fruit that you want, but there's just one. 
There's one thing that you can't do. There is, it's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you can't eat from that. And right now, it's not enticing them like for me to say, hey, the one thing I don't want you to do right now is I don't want you to think about elephants. Shame on you. You all thought about an elephant, okay? He's not doing that to Adam and Eve. He's not saying this is the one thing I don't want you to do just so I can entice you and laugh and humor you. He's saying, listen, I'm going to introduce something to you. It's called free will, and it's awesome if you don't abuse it. And if you do abuse it, if you do take this wonderful godly thing that I've given to you, and you use it for the wrong reason, you're going to die. And so what happened was, is that here comes along a decision to choose with her free will, right? And they chose wrong. And there's consequences to that. And when you, when you have consequences to that, and a lot of the times people say, well, if a, if a really good God loved me, he wouldn't do this to me. That, no, that's, that's, that's not what's happening at all, right? We chose a life. We made a decision and now there's consequences to it. And here's the thing. He said, if you eat its fruit, not when you eat it. He wasn't, he wasn't condemning us and damning us from the beginning. He's saying, if you decide to do this, I, out of the free will of the gift that I give you, that can't be beautiful. If you choose a decision and you walk with that decision and it's a sinful decision and you live in that sinful decision long enough, you're going to begin to make absolute truth in your life. You're going to live within that realm and then you're going to wonder 10 years later how on earth you think and function and process the way that you do and you're going to say, what kind of God would do this? And he's going to say, no, no, no. Ten years ago, you chose to live outside of my will. You chose to live outside of my protection. You chose to live outside of what I've called you to do. And now you're upset and screaming, where is God now? Where am I now? He's saying, if, if you eat this fruit, if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. He even told them up front, this is a bad decision to go outside of my will. Because... You're going to become aware. And I'm not interested in you becoming aware of shame and guilt. I haven't built you to be shamed. I haven't built you to be guilted. And there is a religion out there. There is, and I go as far as to saying that it is a massive cult. There is a religion that's very present in our state, even in our community. So if you've been guilted, if you've been shamed into coming to church, if you've been guilted, if you've been shamed into like apologizing or asking forgiveness or even giving, if you've been guilted and shamed, that is not what God wants. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And so what he was saying was, is that if you do this, if you do this free will, if you make this decision, you're going to inadvertently be playing my role as God, and that's not what you're called to do. So when we go after, and we make decisions of our own outside of God's will, in, and we're calling it our own absolutes, we are simply saying, I know better than God does. And I don't need him right now. It's when we say, God... This has got to be done by Tuesday. Otherwise, I'm going to have to make a decision. Since when is God on a timeline? Never. Since when is God on a timeline? Since when is it, uh, when is it up to us to be like, well, God, if you just don't come through, I, I guess I'm just going to have to step in. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Apologetics. So we have to understand where it all went wrong so that we can simply say, listen, what are you building your life on? That will be the first big question today. Whatever you're building your life on will depend on how your apologetics comes out. And if your apologetics is messed up, then I question what you've been building your life on. But let's continue on here. So we're going to keep going down a little bit. Um, in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, instead, you know, this is why we're talking about apologetics. Instead, the reason why we're talking about apologetics, instead, you must worship your lifestyle, Christ, as, oh, there it is again, Lord, Lord of your life. 
And if someone asks about your hope, your blessed hope, that's code for Jesus, as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So I challenge you today, if you are in a place in your life where you cannot explain the fundamental questions of origin and values and the meaning of life and your destiny, then I ask you, what, have, what are you spending your time on? What have you been building your life on? Because if we can't explain that, then we're just living. And living stinks sometimes when you just go through the motions with no purpose and no direction. Don't do that. Don't do that. Hope, as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Therefore, when we've defined apologetics and we say, okay, what kind of world are we living in for us to have to be, for us to utilize and explain apologetics? Well, we're in a world where people have decided that God is dead. And not only that, that God is dead, that we have to now live within the ramifications of what that world looks like, which means there's no rules. Atheism has no rules. The only thing they abide by is whatever culture deems right or wrong. Culture decides things are right or wrong, and they change all the time. That's why there's bills, like House bills, Senate bills, because we're deciding now that once was what we thought was right can now be something else. We're living in a world where we are changing absolutes because we don't know what we're building our lives on, and we certainly don't know what the Bible says. We're living in a world that's being, that's being influenced and shaped by the idea that God is dead. We're being influenced and shaped that there's all kinds of religions, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, Islam, everything in between, right? That's the second thing is religion and cults. The third thing that's, that's shaping our world is we are learning by our eyes and not by our faith. If we can't see it, we don't believe it. That's the idea right now. So all of faith has gone out. The conviction of the Holy Spirit's going out. Whatever you think is right, whatever, you th whatever makes them happy, whatever they think the definition of love is, it's just all this really nice. And some Christians don't know what they believe, so they just say, well, that's just the wave of grace. Grace covers everything. I have no idea what that verse means. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But grace covers everything, right? Okay. Grace covers everything. And there's no truth in it. They're speaking of no truth whatsoever. And that lack of truth is going to send these people who believe in all this grace and even therefore call themselves Christians, and they're going to go to hell. There are going to be so many people that go before the throne of God someday, and they're going to be like, Jesus, man, I was on fire for you. I preached and I did the gospel. And he's going to be like, you never knew me. And I never knew you. You never knew who I was. You got into this idea that like you knew better and that you decided what absolutes were. And there was never any truth. There was never any redemption. There was never any good news. It was just whatever you wanted to do. And like because you went to church, you even came around to giving. That was awesome. I applauded that. Lots of missionary kids received the benefit of that giving. But you never knew me. You never knew what you stood for. You couldn't explain it. And you never knew me. And that breaks my heart. That breaks my heart because we're living in a world where God is dead. There's a ton of religions and the cults. And listen, I said this last week. A cult is anything that distorts the name of Jesus. So I have no doubt that a lot of us have grown up in a religion that they maybe claim a certain kind of Jesus and they don't know Jesus. And anything that distorts the name of Jesus is a cult. However, though, when we live in a, in a culture 
where God is dead, there's a ton of cults of different, a lot of religions, and we're learning by our, by our eyes and, and not by our faith, that is when things like abortion comes in. That's when like, people are, are sexually uh, having identity crisis. Like, they don't know. Like, they're, they're searching for love that they don't understand, and they're looking for whatever makes them happy. And remember, happiness is external. It comes and goes. And if you don't find that on the fundamental truths of Jesus Christ, you're going to be confused. And in a decision that you have made that you thought was the right one, so then you're in a, you're in a confused relationship, right? And then you don't know what the Bible says, and you're still going through life living in a world where you have decided that this is an absolute, and yet it's not being a fundamental truth. It's not, it's not standing for you. It's not working for you. And, you and, and you're just like, I'm so disappointed in how this is working out. And then we, at the end, we just say, well, I, I know Jesus, and I say, do you? I say, do you? I don't know. Right? I can't judge the heart. Only God can do that. Right? But we have, we, we have abortion, we have homosexuality, we have relativism, we have all these other things. And listen, I want you to write down the word relativism because this is, this is how things are being defined in our culture. And this is how we're making decisions is based off this word that we never speak about, relativism. It's doctrine, knowledge, truth. You can sum this up however you want. Morality that only exists in relation to our culture, our, our, our society... Or our history with no absolutes. That means whatever is popular today, however we're living today, is what is true. And all I can tell you is that Jesus' love continues to go on and sin continues to evolve. So if you're making decisions based off a of sinful uh, evolution, it's only going to get worse and you will only get more confused. Therefore, you have to know what you believe and why you believe it. Apologetics. Because we're not really interested in the truth these days. Not America. America's not really interested in truth. Not really. We're, we're interested in spinning our agenda. We're interested in you agreeing with me so that I can do what I want to do. This all stems from four things. I want you to write these things down. When we live outside God's word, truth, and gospel, we struggle with questions like the question of origin. The question of meaning, the question of morality, and the question of destiny. Let me read those again, okay? The question of origin, where did I come from? The question of meaning, why am I here? The question of morality, which is principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong, good and bad behavior, and the question of destiny. Where am I going? If you can answer those four questions, I'm telling you, you're going to do well as a believer. You're going to do well as an evangelist. You're going to do well as a missionary. You're going to do well to minister in your own backyard because at the end of the day, you're here today to help be trained because you've got six days ahead of you where people desperately need you. Okay? Quit. Don't, don't skip. Don't, you're here because God put a calling on your life, whether you want to admit that or not, whether you're like, well, you know, it's not really my calling. You are called. You are called today. Sitting in that great chair, you're called. And you have a job to do for the next six days to go out and do something with it. So know what you believe and know why you believe it. The question of origin, the question of meaning, morality, and destiny. So how do we reach people that are listening with their eyes and thinking with their feelings? How do we reach people that are thinking with their eyes, thinking with their feelings, listening with their eyes, listening with their feelings? Well, first of all, we have to get away from the notion that Hallmark has figured it out. 
I'm going to follow my heart. Your heart is stupid. Your heart will lead you in every wrong direction. You literally ask your, you literally ask your heart, should I take a million dollars or should I be poor? Your heart would say, let's be poor. Your heart would say, hey, do you want this Lamborghini? Or do you want to walk the rest of your life? Your heart would say, let's walk, baby. Your heart, my heart, Ryan Franks' heart is an idiot. And I have to remember that when I'm making decisions for my family, for my children, for my wife. When I'm in there praying and fasting over this church, over this community, I have to remember that my heart is going to want things that are not godly. And it's going to try to convince me that I'm doing it the right way. That's why you put leadership in place. To protect you from me, to protect you from yourself, to protect this so that this church continues to last. We need accountability. We need to know what we believe. Your heart will deceive you. Jeremiah. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things. Above everything else in your life, your heart is the one thing that wants to ruin you. And it's beyond cure. There is no cure for your heart. Who can understand it? Says I, here it is, the Lord. Lord's going to come up. We're about ready to dive into the Lord. I, the Lord, search the heart and I examine the mind. Praise God for the Holy Spirit coming in and cleaning up. Because we're dirty people sometimes. So, here's, where, here, here, here's how we address this. Here's how it gets a little, this is where it gets a little sticky. How do we do this? Sure, we've addressed that there's a problem. Anybody can do that. Anybody can pick out somebody's flaws. There's no talent in that. Everybody can say that this world is all messed up and dark. We need revival. Yeah, there's no talent in that. We need that desperately. So how do we do it? How do we address it? How do we sit in these great chairs today and actually lead these double doors and make a difference? How do we begin to invest in people's lives and actually see change? This is how we do it. First of all, number one, please write. This starts with us. Make sure you understand what it means to set your life on the rock of Jesus Christ. Make sure you are building your life on the rock and the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. That means that he is Lord over your thoughts and your emotions. So let's talk about that. What does it mean for the Lord to be Lord over our lives? Because I think, I believe, that we think we know what that means. I, I, don't, I don't think we do. Or if, if, if we do understand what it means, then we need, we need a swift little reminder. Lord means supreme ruler of all. Think about that for a second. Is, and, and ask yourself this question, is, is Jesus really the supreme ruler of every department of your life, or is, it, or is he just some? Is he really, does he really have a say? Does he really rule over every department in your heart, and your mind, and your thoughts, your emotions, your will, your feelings, your actions, your decisions? Does he really rule everything? Does he really always have the final say, or is it just some departments? I think it's some departments. I think the Lord's not really Lord of our lives half the time at all. I think he's Lord of our lives when, we, when it's convenient for him to be Lord. I think he's Lord of our lives when we want something desperately in our lives, but when we don't need anything, I don't think he's really Lord of our lives at all. Totally guilty of this. Lord means supreme ruler of all, Lord of your life. So I'm going to give you um, a little acronym, one of those little cutesy acronyms to help you understand what the word uh, Lord means, right? Thank you, Ryan. All right, here's the L. Loyalty. Loyalty. Do you have true allegiance to Jesus? Or do you just call on him when it's convenient? When it's easy? When it's obvious? Are you truly loyal to him? 
When it's easier to run in the other, other direction or run with the crowd or be silent at work, or when you're asked a hard question that you know society is favoring, but you know it's not backed up biblically, can you really be loyal and say, you know what, I love you to death and I'd love to share five to ten minutes with you, but I think I have something that might revolutionize your life if you're open to hearing it. Most people will say, sure, I, I might disagree, but I'll be open. If you, if, if you really ask somebody, do you really, can, can I interest you in something that's going to change your life forever? I mean, that's really a hard thing to turn down, wouldn't you say? It is, I mean, it is for me. I'm always down for that. Loyalty, allegiance to Jesus. How about O? How about obedience? How about obedience when it really comes to the Lord, to Jesus being Lord of our lives? Luke 6.46 says this, why do you call me Lord? This is interesting, because th think about him saying this to you. Think about, he's, instead of talking to his disciples, he's talking to, he's talking to you, he's talking to Ryan. Why do you call me Lord, Ryan? Why do you call me Lord, church? Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say. Ooh. Mm. That's tough. Why do you call me Savior? Why do you call me friend? Why do you call me Lord? But you don't do anything that I ask. You're not loyal at all. There's zero allegiance. It's only when you need me. Right? There's no obedience. I've, I've called you several times to walk on on faith. I've called you several times to do this one thing, and you said it just wasn't in the finances. And you said you just didn't have the time to do it. Too many, too many games were being played on Sunday. Too many, too, many, too many traveling teams were going on. Too many things were going on. I, just, I couldn't fit you in my schedule, Jesus. We don't really say that, but we do that all the time. You know that. You know that. You know that. Loyalty. Obedience. I'll tell you what. I say this often and then it ends up with something different. I think one of the most, if, if, if I die today and on my deathbed they said, what's the last thing you want to tell your church that you think is worthwhile? I'd say be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Just be, just whatever he asks, just, just think and do it, man. Because at the end of the day, he has your best interest at heart. And he's got a plan. I don't have a plan for your life. We, we have a plan for our children from the time that they get infants all the way here. And we have curriculum. We have colors and everything. But at the end of the day, I, I, I don't have a plan for your life. I'm, that's, that's, why, that's why Jesus is Lord and not me. I don't know your plans. I pray for you. I slave over you. I fast over you. But at the end of the day, it is only Jesus that has the absolute true plan. And that's why you're obedient and loyal to him and not me. You know, you know what I mean? You know what I mean a little bit? Loyalty, obedience, be obedient, whatever, whatever the case is, just do it. If you haven't been called to stretch in a long time for the gospel, for Jesus, something's up. If your life isn't getting a little ruffled with your feathers, you're not doing your job as a believer. If things are really good, nobody's going to criticize you unless you're doing something worth doing. Only... Only disgruntled people are going to come complain to you. If you're doing something worth, worth doing, you're going to start hearing about it. That's, the, that, 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 that's a good indication that you're onto something for the gospel. If, you're not, if, if, if there's no complaining, and if nobody's just like, you know what, I'm just, you keep doing this, you keep doing this, and it all has to be around, you know, Jesus. And they may not say quite like that. You, that's how you know you're onto something. Only disgruntled people are going to come and complain to you. Only people that are, that are going to criticize you. They're going to criticize from below and up. You're really going to get somebody from down criticizing down to you, right? Think about it. Think about it. Make sure you understand what Lord means. Here is R, right? So we have loyalty. We have obedience. Here's R, repentance from sin. Genuinely repent. Don't just say, okay, God, 
listen, i got a test in five minutes. I'm so sorry for everything that I've done. If you'll just forgive me my sins and give me everything I need to know right now for this test I can get an A, God, that'd be really awesome. That's not repentance. And as long as there's tests in school, there will be prayer. But it's not true repentance. It's not. It's not true repentance. It really isn't, right? You need to know why you're repenting. You need to know why it's wrong. You need to know that it's sin. And that sin is going to separate you from the glory of God. That is going to separate you from knowing Jesus a little more. Sin hates you. It feels good, but it hates you, and it leaves you just stinking empty when it's all said and done. And you need to know what that is. You've got to be self-aware so that you can repent and be genuine about your repentance. You need to clean up your language. You need to clean up your TV. You need to clean up your music. You need to, be, you need to get on your hands and say, God, I repent for living outside of what you've called me to do. Because as long as I'm living outside of what you're doing, these things are going to start feeling okay. That's, and that's called being desensitized of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit stops convicting you and convincing you, you have a problem. When it begins to get watered down and you do this enough and you do this enough and you do this enough and you stop hearing the voice, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you around the clock, praise God. So if you've been confused that you think God is mad at you because of how much he's on you, it's because he believes in you and he's coaching. D, you got to die to yourself, man. All your plans, all your, this is a hard, hey, listen, this isn't easy. This isn't easy. This isn't easy. It's not easy. It was, you've not been called to do easy work and to have a breezy life. You haven't been called to complain about everything. You haven't called to be bitter. You've been called to get up and do something about it and to be a kingdom builder. That's what you've been called to do. And these are the things that you have to do in order for the Lord to be Lord of your life. And until he's Lord of your life, you will not be able to be an effective kingdom builder. And you will certainly not be able to explain apologetics. Because if you don't understand it and live it and know it, how can you share it? Right? Like we were talking about in, uh, in My Hot Mess. You can share grace all day long, but it's until you've experienced grace that you get it. And we can all experience grace because we're all hot messes and screw-ups. Okay? Die to yourself, right? What does that mean? It means in Matthew 16, 24 through 25, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to learn, whoever wants to roll with me, whoever wants to believe in me must deny themselves and all of the things that they want, their pride, their arrogance, their intelligence, their money, all their fame, all their sex and everything, whatever the case may be, you've got to give that up that makes you feel happy for a moment and come follow something called real joy. That's what he's asking. If you want to be my disciple, if you really want to know what it means to have purpose in this life, deny yourself. Take up the cross. Take up what it means to, for me to be your Lord. Take up the things that I've asked you to do and follow me. It is much easier taking marching orders than making decisions, in my opinion. I would much rather Tristan tell me where she wants to eat than me have to fish for it for half an hour. <laughs> Baby, where do you want to go? I don't know. Let's go to Taco Bell. I don't want to go there. Let's go to pizza. No, I don't want to go there either. What do you want? I don't care. Whatever you want. Okay, let's, let's go grab a burger. I don't want that. Baby, what do you want to do? I don't even care what it is. I don't know. You want to go grab sushi? And then all of a sudden it's like, eh, okay. And I'm like, really? <laughs> so now that we know what it means to have the Lord, right, over our lives, 
and I'll share a little bit more maybe next week about what a little bit more on repentance, but we're getting, we're getting short on time. Shocker. Listen, make sure you understand what it means to have the Lord set as your cornerstone, as your, as, as your rock, as your savior, as your Lord, right? And so the really, something that's really crucial in understanding how to approach a person when it comes to apologetics about explaining to them why what they believe is maybe improbably sinful, okay, is we go back to some really, really, really important things that Jesus said right before we left. And in Mark 12, 30 through 31, and you must love. So now that we know what Lord is, now we can effectively say this with some knowledge and some wisdom behind it. And you must love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You have to be able to do that to be seasoned in apologetics. You've got to know what Jesus is up to and what he's doing, not all the things that he's not doing. It's so easy to be like, oh, the world's just going, you know, the world's just going to hell in a handbasket. And we need to, listen, what about all the great things that Jesus is doing? Do you know that every 90 seconds, just through the assemblies of God, somebody is finding Jesus for the first time? Just through the assemblies of God. And there's other denominations out there, Christian denominations, that are bigger than the AG, that are doing great things as well. So people are always finding Jesus every 60 to 90 seconds. That's a wonderful. Let's remember to celebrate that kind of stuff, right? Not just all the bad stuff. But you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That means everything inside of you. You can't hold any of that back. And until you do this, you'll not be effective in sharing the gospel. You will not be able to answer the hard questions with, with, with clear solutions. It goes on to say that secondly, equally important, love your neighbor. Love people. This is, this is it. I, 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 I'm about ready to start jumping because I don't know how else to explain this. The, this verse right here is everything that we're talking about in apologetics. You've got to love the Lord your God and know what it means that he's Lord in your life. And then you've got to turn around when the person is the questioner yelling, screaming, asking that, hey, this is right, and I believe this. And you're just like, oh, okay, I know that that's wrong. But first, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. Right? I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you by remembering that the question you're asking me is not what I'm addressing. What I'm addressing is the person. What I'm addressing is the person's history, the person's life, the person's story, the testimony. I want this person to know what true love is because I guarantee you, if you ask them to define love, it would be crazy nonsense. Or it might be right up your alley where it says, it's whatever my heart desires. You're going to be like, awesome. Let me share with you what your heart really wants. It wants you to fail. Apologetics cannot just be heard. It must be seen. And it must be seen by us as a church. Hey, listen, what we do in the community will probably be the first step in defining and explaining apologetics. Your first encounter may not be one-on-one. It may be you signing up to feed a kid on Saturday. Okay? There is a point. This church is growing, and it has grown. And now that we're, we're fixing the things that are inside the building, we're almost ready to start going outside so that when people come in, we have a plan. Does that make sense? you got to fix what's wrong at home first. Otherwise, the door is just going to be revolved. And I'm like, so let's talk about that. But we as a church, so here, we're, so you're going to start seeing this church destroy and crush a missions mentality. But we need you to get on board. We need you to believe. I want you to more than just to come and sit in the chair. I want you to more than just feel convicted. Should I give or should I not give? I want your heart to say, I want to do something. I want my faith to be in action. I want more out of this life. I'm tired of just going through the motions. 
Apologetics cannot just be heard, it must be seen. Acts 20 through 35, New Living Translation says this, and I have been a constant example. That is my prayer for you when you get to the throne and you see Jesus face to face. He's not a square, face to face. And you can say, I have been a constant, consistent example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that we see the word Lord in front of Jesus everywhere. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Here's what I'm going to challenge you with. And as God is my witness, we're going to get through these notes. Here's what I want to challenge you with. Before you go home and you're just like, dude, I, like, I, I got to get going, man. I got to do this. I got to do this. I, I wrote notes for the first time. Praise God. I'm going to text Ryan. Yeah, right? Before you just go out and you get all kind of like crazy excited, I want you to begin to pray for opportunity to touch somebody's life. I want you to pray about that moment that's going to come, that you have the strength and the courage to say what God wants you to say in the Holy Spirit and not you. Pray for an opportunity that you know, but here it is. Careful what you pray for, because it will happen. The last thing is this, which kind of goes right into it. You're going you're gonna to need to ask God for wisdom on the right things to say a lot of the time. And there's going to be times where you're going to speak something to a person and it's not you. And you're like, I can't believe that beautiful, educated thing just came out of my mouth. I would have never said that in a million years. It happens all the time. When the Lord just uses you. You takes your thoughts, begins to mold them a little bit. And out comes something beautiful and it's effective. Happens all the time. Number three, ask God for wisdom. We're, we're, we're laying down the foundation, church, for the next several weeks before. Because you can't just jump into some of these hot topics and explain everybody to, to understand. If, if Jesus isn't Lord of your life, you will, not under, you, you will not understand why abortion is wrong. Ask God for wisdom. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, if you lack it, okay, awesome, that, that would be me. Let him ask God who gives generously. Oh, I love that. I love that God is such a generous giver. I try to be generous as much as I possibly can because I know how much he loved me and that he loved me first while I was still a sinner, that he came and died for me, that I didn't deserve it, and he continues to bless me and show favor over me and my family, favor to the fact that I've got beautiful children. They are. They're more beautiful than yours. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I have, I've got a beautiful wife. I've got a beautiful children. You people are absolutely fantastic. I just love, I just love what's going on in life, and I, have, and I just am so thankful that God is so generous to you and to me and to this church, and I'm so thankful for it. I never take one day of growth here for granted. I always praise God. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Help me get out of the way. Help me get out of the way. I pray that more than anything else. A word in season can bring to fruit that only God can nourish, nurture and flourish. Let me say that again. A word in season, your ability to effectively communicate apologetics to somebody can bring to fruit, a seed to fruit, that only God can nurture and flourish. So when you've done your job, and you've been used, and you've asked God for wisdom, get out of the way. And let somebody else come in. Whatever the case may be, however God wants to use you, just be willing. Band, would you join me? I really do believe the most important thing you can walk away with today is examine your heart and see if Jesus is really Lord of it. Because the rest of it doesn't, doesn't really, it's not that it doesn't count, it just doesn't count. If Jesus isn't Lord of your life, you're going to try to 
do things on your own or live outside of God's will and you're going to maybe call on him and not understand why things aren't happening or perhaps, uh, you know, um, you're trying to be effective as a believer and you'll be confused, you'll be disappointed. Jesus has to be Lord of your life. You do, you have to be a loyal, you have to have allegiance to him. You have to very much be obedient. You need to be able to repent and you got to be able to die to yourself and put yourself second. Put yourself third. Put God and other people. Then you get your family in there, right? You're on the bottom of the list when it really comes down to it. There's no other way to live and so happy to live there. That's called servanthood leadership. That's how the church functions. That's how the Bible describes.